after being gone a couple of weeks, we, uh, we finally got that dreaded virus that we'd been running from for two years, and it finally caught up with us. And uh, amazingly, we had our two granddaughters visiting with us. Uh, they were going to help at the chapel there at Hilltop Lakes uh, Vacation Bible School. And uh, they came to church with us that Sunday uh, prior to the Vacation Bible School starting. And uh, on Tuesday, a couple of us started feeling bad, running fever. And, and so that just started the domino effect and it went through everybody. And, and uh, so it's it, just grateful. This is what we're grateful for. We're very thankful that it wasn't in the first round. Um, we might have had my funeral by now. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm really excited that it was on the third or fourth round. And so, uh, and my wife is still, uh, she's uh, definitely t took a turn during the week, not for the better. And uh, so she's uh, on antibiotics and, and treating uh, congestion and a lot of breathing issues. So she's, uh, she's home today watching and praying. And I know she would, would be praying. Um, Today, I don't really have a title. Um, it has to do with not being too comfortable, uh, not getting too comfortable. And you'll see why as the message uh, goes along, why I'm uh, sounding that alarm not to get too comfortable. But uh, I've had some time, you know, for three weeks now to kind of reflect and pray and do some research. Um, I just want to say that I don't think any of us with the technology that is out there today, none of us have an excuse to say that we're not getting enough of the Word of God. Because I'm going to tell you, it's out there and available if you want to try to get to it and let it feed you. I found some interesting facts, and this is amazing. And uh, I guess since I'm just kind of a late bloomer in the thing of the phone deal, you know, I still don't do emails. I, I don't have an email account. I don't get emails. But uh, and then I, last time I said that, then someone said, tried to send an email to me. I it came to the I, I don't know if they heard that I didn't get them. They were just testing or what. But uh, so I'm a late bloomer. But you know what I've discovered that we can hear a sermon, any sermon. It doesn't necessarily have to be here or somebody else. Like while we were have been down, we we turned uh, and we heard Ed Young on a passage, and then we flipped right over to Dr. J. David Jeremiah, and he was preaching on the same exact passage, but it was two different sermons. And so I started kind of researching and looking, and when I hear a sermon, then I go and see what other people are saying about it. And you would be surprised the different takes, the different directions, the different, I mean, the, the, 
Interpretation is basically pretty close to the same, but the application is, there's a variety of applications. So uh, that has been interesting to just see the different takes on the same passage. You have a passage in the Word of God, and then you see this is what this one says about it, and this is what this one says about it, and someone over here says this about it. And so I, I have found that uh, very interesting. Now, one of the things that you might have discovered in some of your reading and research, it might be that, uh, and this is what I've just recently, and it's not brand new news, but it's uh, kind of a repeat of, for other studies, that church attendance in America is on the decline. I mean, across the board, church attendance in America is on the decline. In fact, a member of this church, and I'll not name his name and don't try to figure, I mean, it doesn't matter, but a, a member of this church told me that he knew personally of 35 facilities, church facilities, buildings that were for sale in the Houston area. 35 facilities. So as we think about all this, and the availability of what's out there, um, you know, this, this is amazing. My grandmother told stories of once a month getting in a buckboard or in a wagon and going to a certain spot where the church would meet once a month for the traveling preacher that would come around, they would have one service a month. And they grew in the Lord. And, uh, you know, it, it's incredible. You hear, you hear the testimonies of, uh, that we've had missionaries in the past about their, the persecuted church. And where they have no Bible, they have no ability, they'll be killed or put in jail for even trying to worship. And they have to whisper their singing and, and then have one page of the Bible. That's all they had. And to have one page and just cherish it and love it and, and just be so thankful for one page. And I wonder... In our libraries at home, how many Bibles and translations do we all have? I mean, we, it's endless, really. And so why then, with all the, the availability, why then would the church be in decline across America? And I, and I know there are a lot of different ideas and a lot of different thoughts and so we're not going to be able to solve it here today but we can throw out a couple ideas and and this is what I've observed and you know again April is my anniversary month for going into the ministry it was 1975 so that's 47 years uh, of being in full-time uh, ministry and in that time I have seen church splits I have seen, um, I've seen scandals, you've, and you've seen some of the same scandals that we've all read about in the past. We've seen some growth spurts. We've seen some times when the church actually flourished and, and grew. I would, I would just label it 
almost revival, but not quite. You know, almost there, but not not really. And um, so just so many, so many things in the church. This church, when we came in 86, was split. I mean, all the young couples had left. They'd gone with a younger pastor. And then I came here and we had all the all the parents basically left from all the young people that had left. And um, <clears throat> so, you know, and the church started started growing. Um, so I don't think it's for a lack of sermons or uh, because they're too available. Uh, I think more available than any other time in history. Um, just to name a few great preachers that some of you enjoy, and I also, Dr. Charles Stanley, of course, one of our favorites, and Dr. Adrian Rogers, just, I mean, you can't, he's the prince of preachers. He can, he can, he can give an illustration that just lights up, you know, uh, some of the best, and I've really lately enjoyed Dr. David Jeremiah, uh, John MacArthur and uh, Robert Jeffries in uh, First Baptist Dallas and Tony Evans at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. There are just so many out there that have that are godly, solid, good preaching uh, that we have available. There are Bible studies that you can get involved in, and uh, it's all really endless. If anyone has a genuine hunger for the Word of God, it's there and available for you. Um, so <clears throat> what can be some reasons possibly for, um, for the lack of interest, if you will, and what would it take? And, I've, and I'm asking myself, I, like I said, I've had two or three weeks here to kind of contemplate and pray and think about it and, and just really get along with God and find out, God, what, what would it take for the church in America to start growing again? What would it take? And to produce fruit, His fruit, not, not just any fruit, but His fruit. So I'd like to take you to a very familiar passage, but it's found in 1 John. And I'm going to start with this and say this to me is, and it's, it's really kind of all connected, if you will. As we go through this today, it's really a little all connected. And, and you'll see. But I think, I think this, is, this is a key point As we think about what can we do to change? What can we, what can we do individually? What can we do to change and start seeing fruit and growth in the lives of, uh, in our churches? And number one, I think one of the main causes in, uh, in our lack of, our lackluster our lack of enthusiasm in, in some circles, I think it's, it could be boiled down to a failure to confess our sins or a failure to agree with God about our sin. 
Okay? So let's read this very familiar passage. Let's look at verse 6 and following. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. We lie. Let's read that again. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now, could we just stop right here and, and let each one of us kind of reflect on that thought? And would we just, you know, all of us, can we all agree that Scripture is correct, that Scripture is right, that we all have sin? All of us. We, we're, we all deal personally at different areas, different levels, different um, quantities, if you will. But we all deal with sin. All of us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You see, this is critical. If, if we're not willing to, to be upfront and transparent and honest with God and say, God, you're right. I have sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And just forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So after that, anybody here strong enough to look God in the face and say, I don't have any sin. It's not me, God. It's the other guy. It's not me. It's somebody else. No, we all, we all have sin that we're dealing with, and we have to be willing, and this is so key, we have to recognize it is sin, and we have to be willing to confess it, and you know, you've all heard the teaching and the, and the exegesis in the past, that is just agreeing with God what He has put His finger on in your heart and life what he has placed his Holy Spirit's finger on is sin. And you agree with that. You say, yes, God, that's right. You're 100% right. That, I know that's sin. That's, that's not Christ-like. That thought was not Christ-like. That word, that statement I made was not Christ-like. I have sin. And agree with God that what you have done or thought or acted out, it was sin. Agree with him. Don't resist him. Don't deny him. Don't let it deceive you into thinking it's not really serious. Because it is. You know, most of us don't struggle from a lack of Bible facts and Bible information. 
I think our biggest problem is having the Word of God. And I, and I say this to all of us lovingly, please. I really do think I'm the softer, gentler pastor than 30 year, years ago. So I say this in love. But I think we have a problem with the Word of God being proclaimed and it goes in one ear and out the other ear without ever touching our heart. In one ear and out the other ear, and we're not changed. If we say we have no sin, I mean, where are we going to go from here? If we can't just stick with just the very basic word of God. Let me, let me turn to Romans 7, if you would. Turn with me, if you will. Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 11, 7, 11. And this is the Apostle Paul writing, and I think this is very indicative of what, what sin can do. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. Now, we need to make a note of that because this happened to the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, and this is the man that God used to write more of the New Testament than any other man. And he's saying, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. So sin is deceptive. And so just a few thoughts on the deceptiveness of sin. I think sin is tricky. I think sin doesn't know how to tell the truth. It causes me to think one thing and then wrongly make a decision about another. It's deceptive. You think you see something here and then it's deceptive and, and, it's, and it turns things around on you. Now, like here, I think this is a deception. We're dealing with sin. I think a deception is that when we experience the mercy of God. And folks, I would challenge any of you to go, get me off to the side and say, this has never happened to me. I believe it's happened to all of us. <clears throat> God shows you mercy when we should have been put on our back. God shows us mercy. So the deception of sin is, I can sin and there are no consequences. I can sin and there's no consequence. That's a deception. Because you see, God's showing mercy. God's showing us mercy and, and his, his nature of being long-suffering. And we, involved in whatever, say, 
I guess there are no consequences of that because God hadn't done anything yet. Do you see? Does that make? I mean, it's it's deceiving to think that God's showing us. I never will forget one of the preachers we had here talked about, you know, people were saying this is the judgment of God and this is the judgment of God. And he said, no, it's the mercy of God. And so when you sin and you look up and you expect it to be swatted upside the head and you don't get it. You just had God's mercy and his long suffering and his willingness to give you an opportunity to, to repent and turn around. And we say, well, I guess there's not going to be any consequences to that. And here's another thing I think is deceiving. I how folks can, I, you know, profit motivated people and whatever that means to you. I know what it means to me. Um, really are kind of hard on ourselves. But I'm going to tell you, when God takes me to the woodshed, I don't have to scratch my head and say, I wonder if that was the woodshed. No, I, I know when God has taken me to the woodshed. But you know, it amazes me, so many people in the church, and I'm talking about the church, not just this church, but the church. Time and time and time and time again, over and over things, and they don't call it discipline. They don't call it consequences to my sin. If anything, they say, well, it's all for the glory of God. It's just for the glory of God that this is happening in my life. Now, I think we need to be aware of the deceptiveness of sin. In my experience, all these years, 47 years, I have been made aware that there are repeat offenders. There are people that say they've sinned and then they say they've stopped their sin. And then the first thing you know, you look up and they're still involved in their sin. I think the church today, now we're talking about reasons why the church has not grown and why the church in America and, and what we could do to turn it around, confessing our sin, being alert and aware to our sin but dealing with, in our own lives, this idea of repeat offenders, people continuing to do the same things over and over and over again. Till I believe that God will say one day, and I've seen it happen on several occasions, that God will finally say enough is enough. And some of you might have heard that great sermon. I think it was preached one, uh, one time. It was preached at Sagemont, I believe. God's three deadlines. And the preacher pointed out where people heard a convicting message, heard a convicting message and gave an opportunity for repentance and they fail to repent and go get in their car and get killed and going home from church. 
are getting killed the, the, the week after. I mean, we've got to, God will finally say, and there's a scripture to back that up, Proverbs 29.1, he that being, and I want you to think, we're talking about repeat offenders, people that are doing the same things over and over and over, repeating something that God convicted them of and said, this is sin, and you might have even agreed with it. And then you said, I'm sorry, God. And then you went right back to it. Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Proverbs 29, 1. Now who can say really for sure but God Folks, you'll never know, and I've, you know, the confidentiality thing is so important to me. But you would be so shocked at the sins that people have come to me with, the struggles that they've come to me with in my office, sitting there in the office, crying, weeping. These are faithful every week. They're there, and they're struggling. I personally have known several repeat offenders that are professing believers. And this is another deception along with this whole idea of not confessing and not agreeing with God that there is sin and um, no consequences. I just believe that there's such a lack of fear of God in the church today. I really believe that's one of the major things. It's a lack of fear of God. But if we, if we feared God, I mean, you know, and we've got all the good definitions, reverential fear and all the different things you say, but I'm telling you, you know, we ought, to, we ought to reverence God in such a way that we don't want to do anything to hurt Him. And knowing if He continues to rebuke and, and give us opportunity for change and repentance, and we fail, we just continue on, continue on, continue on, then we should expect God to take drastic action. If you belong to Him. If you belong to him, if you're his. If we continue on after our loving father has extended his hand of mercy. Over and over and over. And they harden their hearts toward God. And he finally has to say enough is enough. 
we need to recognize that sin in the life of the believer is no fun and games. We had better stop neglecting the application of the Word of God because I'm convinced that the word repent, you know, that's a big issue. A lot of people, they put uh, a lot of repentance before salvation. I think, I think the majority of repentance is for the believer. The believer is to repent, to turn away from his sin and turn to God. Now, <clears throat> and what happens if you don't? You hear a sermon. You hear a message. You, 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 you're hearing something today that I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm convinced this is what God wanted us to hear today, and you're hearing it, and what could be happening inside of you if you're not receiving it from God, if you're not receiving it from uh, the Holy Spirit? And the answer is found in, in Scripture. There are several places, but Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8, Harden not your hearts. Harden not your hearts. As in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, when your father tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. That's what we're doing right now. We're exhorting. We're doing something the Bible says do. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened unless you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Through the deceitfulness of sin. If our hearts are soft and tender, we would be more apt to repent. But you see, a hard heart once we've been, and this is the process, and I wish I could really explain it really well, but you know, one day we'll have all of eternity. But every time you're under conviction, every time the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and pointing to something in your life, and you resist, and you say no, your heart gets harder. And then the next time, harder. And the next time, harder. And the next time, harder. And then... After that, you can just sit through it. It's a breeze. No conviction, no pressure. You know, what time is it? Let's get out. It's time to eat. But a soft, tender heart is more, would be more likely to repent and be broken over our sin. A hard heart hears, but is unmoved. A hard heart hears, but at best may be momentarily sorry. And listen, folks, and you've heard it as well as I have. People can yell amen all day long in the service and Monday morning go right back to the same thing.
How can we sit through sermons week after week, sermon after sermon, and not be moved? I mean, how can, how can we... There are people that, that I've preached before for years. They've never one time ever knelt at the pulp uh, here at the uh, altar. Not one time. And I'm not, I, I'm not big. I'll normally kneel by my chair or whatever. So it's not the open show so much. It's what's going on in your heart. So let me hasten to say <clears throat> Hebrews 12. Look at this. This is something that I found very interesting along with this whole subject that we're covering today. Hebrews 12. Look at verse 15. This is important. Verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now this is a familiar passage, but let's look at it. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness, a root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and therefore many be defiled. I don't often do this, but it was just so good, I, I just decided. <clears throat> this is a, my little devotional thing, Dr. Blackby, that I use, and I've just about worn it out. But he had something on bitterness I thought was really, really powerful. And, you know, it just kind of opened some thoughts. He said bitterness, and there's a whole two or three paragraphs here, but bitterness is easy to justify. Bitterness is easy to justify. Now, I want you to listen to some of these words because this, I mean, I could tell you, you know, I could read it and, not give him credit, but I, I just think it's important that he gets the credit for this. You can get used to a bitter heart. You can get so used to a bitter heart that you are even comfortable with it. I, I found that amazing. The word bitterness is easy to justify. You can get so used to a bitter heart that you are even comfortable with it. And then he has a comma and he says, but it will destroy you. Only God is fully aware of the destructive potential there is nothing so deeply embedded in your heart that God's grace cannot reach down and remove it. No area in your life that is so painful that God's grace cannot bring total healing. No offense committed against you is so horrible that God's love cannot enable you to forgive. It might come from deep hurts, this bitterness. 
received as a child. Hurts you cannot forget. Time, rather than diminishing the hurt, only seems to sharpen the pain. Bitterness can result from hurtful words of a friend or a co-worker. Often the person who hurt you is unaware of the extent of your bitterness. You find yourself rehearsing the offense over and over again, each time driving the root of bitterness deeper within your soul. Bitterness can derive from a sense of being unjustly treated. I thought that was amazing. You can actually get used to a bitter, and you can get comfortable with a bitter heart. Get comfortable with a bitter heart. You know, so many people, so many Christians are so full of grace that they've totally removed the fear of God from their doctrinal vocabulary. And I believe that Dr. Blackaby is correct in saying that what I've observed is that some Christians have gotten very comfortable in their sin. They've become very comfortable with what's going on in their life, and they're unwilling to be totally broken before God. Our pride, there are issues with pride. All kind of things with pride. Spiritual pride. We've experienced that here at this church before. Spiritual pride. There was a time, there was a time in this church's history since we've been here. You know, you've heard the story. We had 22 people join on one Sunday. And people were coming, but what you, what you don't realize that was going on behind the scenes as all this growth and activity seemed to be taking place, people were coming to me and asking questions. Like one family wanted to join, but they said, you know, we're not in ATI. We've never been a part of ATI, so would we fit in? I mean, are we allowed to join? Can you imagine some, you know, a family saying, I want to come join the church, but we sense something going on here, and it's so so restrictive and so exclusive that I don't even know that we would even be permitted to join. And so I said, of course, yes, you don't have to be a member of ATI to join the church. That's ridiculous. Another family, mother, father, and child walked in the door. They like the church. They want to join the church. Some well-meaning member, now y'all will remember this book, uh, it was a paperback being passed around. And here these people came in with one child and they said, have you ever read this book? And the book was titled Full Quiver. Well, what they didn't hear, see, they didn't get all the, and this is what happens so many times. People don't have all the facts. But as this couple shared this with me, they were so thankful for their one child because that's the only child they could have. They were so grateful. And then somebody hands a book and says, here, you need to, you know, have a half dozen kids or more. Thankfully, that didn't turn them away. And then, of course, the grandfather, I've told that story several times, but that just broke my heart. Here, he, he called me up and said, I'm telling you, we'll never darken the doors of the church. We finally got my grandson there, and somebody said he couldn't play dressed like that. He said, I'll never come back. 
These are the glory days. These are the days when people were coming from everywhere. And then some of the daughters were growing up, getting college age, parents not knowing what to do. So some of the parents decided to send their daughters off to Christian college. And then they would come home on breaks and stuff and be shunned on the sidewalk out here because they were going off to Christian college. Well, my daughter didn't go to Christian college, and that wasn't our choice, but it's not my place to tell another father what to do with his daughter. So, folks, I'm going to tell you, there, we pride, the spiritual pride, and I like what Steve Riddell said. I don't agree with Steve Riddell on everything. He and I are good friends, but uh, he said, you know, during those days, it was like uh, everybody chasing a soccer ball. You know, wherever the soccer ball went, people just collected and gathered, you know, so here's, here's the deal. Here's where we are today. I think there's a potential, and I believe it, or I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be continuing to preach. I wouldn't be continuing to stay with it. But I believe there's a potential because I've heard from some of you about your heart, about what you long for. You want preaching. You want protection. You, want, you don't want to have to go home and correct from the, uh, your, with your children what you're, what's said from the pulpit. You want to be sure that when you come in here that you don't have to get up and walk out because of rock music. And they're just things that I think we can be really thankful for. And yes, the largest room in the world is the room for improvement. We can all improve. But that includes all of us. But I think it's going to start, it's going to start with us individually being honest before God and saying, and I haven't seen this in a long time. I mean, I have seen it since I've been here and it's been a while, but I haven't seen that one lone person come forward and say, I don't care if anybody else moves. I've got to tell you, I want to tell the church, I have been, I am guilty and I'm a sinner, and I've been involved in sin. You don't have to name what it is, but I'm in sin. I know I repeat. I go back. I say I'm sorry. Then I go back the next week and do the same thing. When are we going to have a Holy Ghost revival that will take people out of their pew on their faces, broken before God, saying, God, I've had all of this I can take. I can't sit through another sermon and be convicted like I'm convicted and not respond to you. I think about those days. I think about those days, but I'll tell you what I think about those days. I think about the fruit I see today. And not all the fruit that I see today that came out of all that yesteryear is exactly what I think is God honoring. There's a remnant. There's a remnant. There's a group of people that no matter what, they are going to stick to the task before them. They're going to keep their eyes on Jesus. They're going to continue to serve him and love him. And if everybody else goes the wrong direction, they're going to continue to, to go forward with Jesus and let him lead them every step of the way. That's the group I want to see really take off. So 
I think there's been some different fruit out of the past, and I'm not proud of all the fruit. Some of it, yes. A lot of it, yes. But not all of it. It's been very disheartening to see some of it and to see the as people have grown up and turned into adults what they've turned into. And it's rather disappointing. They've had the same, they went through the same school, they went through the same church, same Sunday schools, and then when they were old enough to start making decisions for themselves, then they started making decisions where they started embracing alcohol and immodest dress and uh, music that's just, I don't think, glorifying to God. And so we, we have an opportunity, we have an opportunity today to be transparent with God. And today, the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It could be your last opportunity. I'm not going to be bold enough and crazy enough to say, oh, yeah, this is it. You've only got one more opportunity. I'm not going to say that. But I can say this. I feel very strongly about what we've said today. And I believe hearts need to be turned upside down, broken over relationships, over uh, repeat offenders, sin. And we've got to be honest before God and say, none of us, none of us have it all together. None of us are living that perfect life. And I would just encourage you not to be too comfortable with your sin, whether it's bitterness, pride, backbiting, whatever it is, giving bad reports. Don't get too comfortable because God may one day say to you, okay, you've had enough warning. Enough is enough. And suddenly you'll be rebuked and that without remedy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to do a great work in our hearts. Father, I pray that no one would walk out of this building today with a hardened heart. That we would allow you to tenderize, allow you to break, allow you to demonstrate your power and your desire to see the church in America Start moving in the right direction, producing good fruit, your fruit. And so, Father, we trust you to accomplish your will. And we give this invitation to you. We ask you to be glorified and honored through everything that's said and done for the rest of the day. We love you and we praise you. We commit this invitation to you in Jesus' name. Amen.